Is there about for an ass? And in this situation, I think we can have one at least one hand go. You know, you've heard that line a number of times. You either heard it in TV shows or you've read about incidents in the news where something has happened to somebody either on an airline or on a ship or, or someplace and they're needing medical attention and they can't really until the paramedics arrive. So somebody's asking, is there a doctor around? Happens a lot on airlines when there's a medical emergency and, and there's no paramedics around. Need somebody to stabilize the individual until they can get on the ground and the ambulance crew's waiting there in order to take care of them. Uh, one such doctor uh, a few years back, uh, her name was Dr. Dr. Gillespie. Uh, she's a fellow of the American College of Emergency Physicians, and she's also assistant professor at Embry University of Emergency Medicine. Uh, they were flying from Los Angeles to Boston, and on the flight, she heard that, those dreaded words, is there a doctor on board? And she stood up and she saw a gentleman and his having a grand ball seizure. And the friends that he was traveling with had no idea what to do with him. Uh, so she went, she went on and she tried to stabilize him as much as possible, got, kept him comfortable, able to make an emergency landing and get the paramedics on board in order to take care of him. Uh, fortunately, he's, he came out of the seizure prior to landing and he did fine. Um, but, you know, those are the dreaded words that, that, we, that we hate to hear. Is there a doctor in the house? In Gilead, apparently, there was no doctor in the house. And apparently my button's not working this morning. So that's, that's okay. Is there a doctor for my button here? You know, <laughs> is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician here? Is what Jeff is crying of grief. Jeremiah is calling for a doctor. He needs a doctor. And it's not someone near him that's in a medical crisis. And the patient here that he's calling a doctor for is not even a person. It's, a, it's his own nation of Judah. And we can imagine Jeremiah Weeping as he cries for help. His heart is absolutely breaking because of his unfaithfulness. Now, they did have and enjoy a very brief, encouraging report under good King Josiah. Josiah was a great king and brought the people back to God, but once Josiah was gone, guess what the people of Judah did? They went right back to their old ways. They backslid. They began to worship foreign gods. They began to fall into all manners of immorality. Uh, but this is not really the most alarming thing. See, looming on the horizon was a Babylonian invasion. The armies were assembled, and Jeremiah could see the Chaldean banner freeze. King Jehoiakim apparently took absolutely no notice. He does nothing. He's too busy partying in the palace. Rome burns and he's fiddling. And to make matters worse, the people don't do this either. 
They weren't much better. They do not see what the prophet sees. They don't share his expansive vision. This prophetic watchtower that he is proclaiming has no appeal for them. They'd rather be scrabbling for shekels in the teeming streets beyond their petty problems and pleasures. This is my remote now, since this one's not working. I'm going to have to just point at you. Balm and Gilead, what he's very famous resin that comes from the trunks of balsam pine trees that grew in the area of Gilead. This resin is refined. It becomes a very fragrant ointment that's good for all kinds of ailments. You might say that it was a Vicks Vapor Rub. You remember Vicks Vapor Rub? Remember that stuff that mom used to rub on our chests and that menthol, that menthol scent would come up into our noses and make us breathe again? The stuff that we did have it put, being put on us? That's, I'm, I'm sorry, but that stuff was nasty. I would fragrant. Okay? But Balm of Gilead was probably something much like today's Vicks Vapor Rub. It was an ointment that could make you feel better. Uh, Jeremiah regards the corruption of his people, their hopelessness and their lack of future, and cries out, Is there no bond? Is there no medicine that can help? Is there no doctor in the house? No one who can bring true healing to healing people. This ailment, of course, is sin, right? It's no physical It's a spiritual ailment. And Jeremiah is addressing this ailment using a model. And it's very striking. And for once, prophet is not the people as individuals for the immoral acts. He's wanting to heal them. He's wanting to save them. He's talking of sin as a very serious moral ailment, a disease that is lethal and something that can only be healed by an outside power. Isaiah alludes to this, to the suffering servant of Messiah as the wounded healer who was the great physician. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that was made that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. This little word sin, this little three-letter word, has largely fallen out of favor with our society, hasn't it? When our neighbors hear it, they're likely to have one of two reactions. One, they're either going to dismiss this as so much pious claptrap from fashion, out-of-touch busybody, or 
they're going to see it as something perversely attractive, like looking at a chocolate cake that is eyes as sinfully delicious. They're going to see sin as something that's fun, that's exciting, that they in. You know, Billy Joel really caught the attitude of this, uh, of this attitude in a famous line from one of his songs. Laugh with the sinners and cry with the saints. The sinners have much more fun for only the good die young. Jeremiah gave on a society that has de degraded into massive systemic sin. Maybe once he was angry about it. But now he's world weary and he's filled with despair. His heart is reaching out with compassion toward these people whom he knows is going to suffer. These people are sick. They are so very sick. And there's no doctor on the case. The pharmacy shelves are Albert Schweitzer was a missionary doctor, and he dedicated his life to running backcountry hospitals, steamy jungles of West medical his own African practice, and applied it to the European culture of his birth. Let me read you this quote from him. It says, you know the disease in Central Africa called sleeping sickness. There also exists a sleeping sickness of the soul. Its more dangerous aspect is that one is unaware of its coming. That's why you have to be careful. As soon as you notice the slightest indifference, the moment you become aware of the loss of a certain seriousness, of longing, of enthusiasm, and zest, take it as a warning. You should realize your soul suffers if you live superficially. <laughs> Are we good now? All right. <laughs> I tried to ignore it until he dropped the battery, and then it was just done. It's not without its consequences. Sin is not some spicy delight that happens in Vegas and then stays in Vegas, right? Stays in Vegas. It never does. Sin infects the souls of those poor sinners who believe they can jump on a plane and take a vacation from morality for a few days. They only bring that contagion back home where it affects more people. And to be perfectly accurate, sin never really originates in Vegas, does it? 
because the seeds of immoral behavior are already planted in the sinner's hearts before they even make it to the baggage claim at the airport in Vegas. Jeremiah's whole point is that sin is not just a collection of disconnected, immoral behaviors. He never pretends that the solution to sin is just exercising a little bit of willpower. Just say no is not an answer to sin. That's not the answer. And Jeremiah is a realist. He knows that the problem runs much deeper than simply saying no. Sin is a deadly sickness that needs to be healed. In the world today, there are there's a lot of distorted versions of the gospel of Christ. And you know, you could just go down the street sometimes and you can find all kinds of different versions of the gospel of Christ. And one of those distorted forms of the Christian message is the gospel of sin management. If you've never heard this before, the gospel of sin management is something that's proclaimed by church leaders way off on the left and way off on the right. And whether it's addressing collective sins of tolerating poverty and homelessness, or if it's individual sins of adultery and stinginess, proponents of this stripped-down, incomplete version of the gospel of Christ teach that being a Christian is all about managing sinful behavior. Just stop sinning. This is, this is what the school of thought teaches. Just stop sinning, or at least cut down on it, and God's going to smile upon you, and he's going to bestow upon you the gift of eternal life. All you got to do is just stop sinning. Well, you know what? This is kind of a hard idea to live up to, isn't it? Anybody here able to just stop sinning? It's near on impossible to cut out all sinful behaviors. Yet proponents of this way of thinking are quick to remind us that while God may scrawl a bright red F at the top of our grading sheet as far as stopping sinning, the Lord's quick to counteract that negative judgment and he gives us an A for effort. Now over against all this unrealistic optimistic ideology is a much older creed. Folks, it's called the Bible. God's word is not so optimistic about the human condition. God sees sin as a fatal illness that gets hold of your heart and is not going to let go, at least on its own accord. It's a fatal illness. Is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no doctor in the house who can give us the miracle cure so sin can be banished 
and spiritual health and wholeness can be restored. Jeremiah could name no such remedy. He was relying on something common. You know, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there nothing that we can do to help these people? He does seem confident, though, that there must be some kind of remedy that's going to help these people. There is, in fact, such a cure. We know it as the balm of grace of Jesus Christ. You know, the African slaves of the American South knew, it, knew about this balm probably better than we do. Even though they were held captive and they were oppressed all their days, even though they labored under the lash of the overseer, they were still allowed to sing some songs, some spiritual songs, as they worked. And, and one of them is this beloved hymn based on this very passage. There is a balm in Gilead. There is a balm in Gilead that makes the wounded whole. There is a balm in Gilead that heals the sin-sick soul. You can just picture them singing this song as they're laboring, as their masters are forcing them to do things, and they're singing, there is a bomb in Gilead. Something can make this better. This hymn endeavors to answer the prophet's plaintive cry. So where is this powerful medicine? And how do we get to it? It begins with something we carry in our own bodies. In reservoirs behind our eyes. Special ducts can convey this salty solution from its storage place when it's most needed. Our eyes will well up with it. And the will run down our cheeks. We know that, of course, as tears. Tears of sorrow, tears of suffering, tears of felt penitence. The slaves that sang that hymn years and years ago, they had tears of plenty, didn't they? They had tears of plenty and weeping as they sang of the precious remedy from far off Gilead. Now the tears we cry are mostly water. And water is the, that principal ingredient in our tears. When we're profoundly moved, our bodies supply water that runs down our cheeks. So when we're invited, so that's what we're being invited to do with Jeremiah's cry. We're invited to sit down with Jeremiah and have a good cry. We're invited to sit down with him and weep. We're invited to sit down and cry over opportunities lost. Let's cry about our foolish rebellion and our pettiness. Let's cry in remorse for chasing after foreign gods, such as fleeting pleasure and materialism. 
Let's cry tears of repentance. Let's cry tears of bitter realization of our own sinful status. And then, let's cry tears of joy. Why? Because, folks, there is a bomb in Gilead. Amen? There is a bomb in Gilead. It is the bomb of Golgotha. It is the bomb of grace. And Jesus Christ, he is the great physician. This balm of grace is applied not through the tears that we cry, but through the waters of baptism. The tears that we cry in remorse and in repentance and in realization of our sin-sick state, they drive us to Jesus Christ. They drive us to the waters of baptism where these waters literally flow over our whole body. And they heal our sin-sick soul. After that, God's grace, this balm of grace, allows us continual access to the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses us from our sins. Folks, that is the balm of Gilead. It is the grace of Jesus Christ. It is the only thing that can heal our sin-sick souls. What is the condition of your soul this morning? Are you suffering from that fatal ailment that not taken care of with the balm of grace will kill you. It will destroy you. Don't let sin become a fatal illness in your life. Don't let it stay that way. There is a medicine. There is a balm in Gilead. It is the grace of God through Jesus Christ. It is his blood as we come in contact with it through baptism and through prayer will heal your sin-sick soul. And if your soul is sick this morning and you need healing, come to the balm of grace this morning while we stand and sing.